Two weeks ago, life for the average person in America was probably pretty good. With a low national unemployment rate, most people were working. Uh, the stock market was at an all-time high. The economy was favorable, and most people were doing okay. But my goodness, how quickly things can change. In just the last couple of weeks, the stock market has experienced record drops, and many people have been laid off from work, and the coronavirus and pandemic has ground our lives to a halt. Our travel is restricted. It seems like just overnight baseball games been canceled, basketball tournaments canceled, sporting events like NBA games, hockey games, NASCAR have all been suspended. Schools have been closed for at least the next two weeks. In fact, I'm not preaching today from behind the pulpit, but in the sound booth because our church services have been canceled. I do not know when we will return to our regular schedule. I'm praying it'll be very soon. I do not know when the coronavirus will be behind us, and I don't know what the future holds. But I do know the one who holds the future. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As Christians, we react differently to troubles than those who do not know the Lord. And I'm praying that God will use this pandemic to remind people throughout the world how quickly, just how quickly, things can change, how quickly things can go from good to bad or from bad to worse, and that our ultimate hope and peace should always rest in our relationship with the Lord Jesus. So I want to read to you today what's been called the Traveler's Psalm and rediscover the reality that God is our helper in all circumstances of life. In fact, I've entitled this message today from Psalm 121, God is my helper. Listen to what the psalmist said. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not allow thy foot to be moved. He that keeps thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. 
The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. As we think about God being our helper, I want to remind you that God is our help in the time of trouble. When David was writing this psalm, he uh, gives it a superscription at the beginning of the text uh, that says it is a song of degrees or a song of ascents. Of the 150 psalms, 15 of them have this kind of a superscription. It starts in Psalm 120 all the way up to Psalm 134. You see, as the Jewish temple was built, there were 15 steps leading up to the temple. And when the Jews ascended to the temple for worship, they would stop on each step and sing one of these songs of ascent. I can just see many of them with their heart hot for God, standing on the temple steps and singing, for example, Psalm 122. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. I can hear them sing Psalm 123. As the eyes of the servant look to their master and the eyes of a maiden to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until he has mercy upon us. Or Psalm 125, they that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed but abides forever. I can hear them sing Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone that fears the Lord and walks in his ways. Well, the psalmist says that God is a very present help in the time of trouble. One wise old sage said, I only pray when I'm in trouble, but I'm in trouble all the time, so I pray all the time. Where do we turn to when we're in trouble, when life hits us hard? Where does our help come from? The psalmist said, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where comes my help? Some translations put it in the form of a question. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Then he gives the answer. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In other words, he, he looks beyond the hills. He looks higher than the mountains, and he focuses on the one who created the mountains. In the days this psalm was written, uh, pagan shrines were built on hilltops called high places. Uh, groves of trees were planted, and people would gather to these places to find a word of hope and encouragement. Heathen nations worshipped false gods and placed their faith in the, the sun and the moon and the stars. But yet this psalmist looks beyond all of that, beyond the hills, beyond the sun, the moon, the stars, to the one who stood on the edge of nothing and spoke the universe into existence. And he said, my help comes from the Lord. In all of our time of trouble, the eyes we look with are the eyes of faith. The hill we look to is a hill called Calvary, where the only begotten Son of God laid down His life and shed His blood for our redemption. And the help we look for is the God of our salvation, a very present help in trouble. When you find yourself in need, I want to encourage you to look to the God of the universe. The help we need comes from God, who spoke this very world into existence. First of all, let me encourage you, never blame God when trouble comes. Some people blame God for everything that happens in the world. But listen, God is not the author of confusion. God does not cause difficulty. He does not cause hardship and pain. The Bible says God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone to do wrong. So do not blame God. It has been said when we can't trace his hand, 
we can always trust his heart. That means even when we don't know for sure what God is up to or how God is going to work all of life out for our good and his glory, we know the heart of God is a heart of love and compassion and grace. So we never blame him when trouble comes. Secondly, I have discovered that trouble really reveals what we believe. You see, God is kind and loving and gracious. He doesn't cause bad things to happen, but the Bible does say that he tests the hearts of men to see what we really believe. Malachi 3 gives us the picture of God as a silversmith who turns up the heat, he removes the dross, and produces a more pure, refined form of silver. You see, God turns up that heat. He allows trouble because there's nothing like trouble that reveals who we really are and what we really believe. The reality of our own sinfulness and unbelief, it actually can lead us to a greater dependence upon God. And that's my prayer through the trouble that our country and really our world faces today is that it would remind us of our own weaknesses and that it would push us toward God for a greater trust and a greater dependency upon Him. Which leads me to the third element, always put your trust in God. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. No matter what trouble we face, never lose sight of God. Continually trust Him and seek Him. He'll never leave you. He will never forsake you, the Scripture says. You know, in Bible times, the term the sliding of the foot was often used as a description of misfortune. But the psalmist said here, he will not even allow your foot to be moved. God will never allow you to slide away from him if you'll just keep your eyes focused on him because he is our help in the time of trouble. But secondly, God is also our help in times of tremendous uncertainty. Listen to what the psalmist continues to write. He that keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is the shade upon thy right hand. God not only helps us in times of trouble, but listen, he is our helper in, in times of uncertainty. That word keep is just full of meaning. It's from a Hebrew word that means to guard, but not to guard like a jailer would guard a prisoner, but as a rich man would guard his treasure. Jesus said it this way, of all that the Father has given me, I have lost none. Can't you just kind of see the picture of the Lord Jesus holding us firmly in his grasp and saying, you don't have to worry because he that keeps Israel will guard you as well. You see, the people of God are kept at all times and in all circumstances by the mighty power and grace of God. The King James uses that word keep, but some translations use the word watch. Let me read it to you. For example, verse number three, in some translations says it this way, he who watches over you will not slumber. Verse four, he who watches over Israel will not slumber or sleep. Verse five, the Lord watches over you. Verse seven, he will watch over Israel your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going. In fact, in our times of uncertainty, what the psalmist is saying is, when I look beyond the hills 
to the creator of all of the universe, and I see him, what I see is I see God watching me. Watching over me, and he's never sleepy. Watching over my life, watching over my going out and my coming in. As I see God watching me, it removes my uncertainty. It removes my anxiety and gives me peace. You see, man sleeps. A sentinel may slumber at his post by inattention or boredom, or even a, a, an exhausted mother may fall asleep at the side of her sick child. But listen, God is never tired. He's never weary. He's never sleepy. He never closes his eyes on the condition of people nor the wants of this world. Now, that doesn't mean that believers will never experience any difficulty or that believers will not get sick or have trouble. The rain falls upon the just and the unjust, the Scripture says. So it doesn't mean that as a believer we'll never have times of uncertainty or hardship, but it does mean that nothing comes into our lives until it first passes through the hands of our loving, sovereign, heavenly Father. Listen to Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now listen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Psalm 55 says, Cast your burden upon the Lord, he will sustain you, and he will never let the righteous be moved. There's a beautiful passage in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk that says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, food, uh, fruit, food excuse me, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Savior. Listen, God is our help in times of trouble. He is our great helper in times of uncertainty. But He's also our great helper in times of personal weakness. Listen to what He says, the psalmist says in verses 5 and 6. He says, The Lord is thy keeper. He is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. Now, I mentioned to you this was called the Traveler's Psalm. It was sung by those who were traveling to worship. You know, in those days, it was believed that prolonged exposure to the moonlight could have serious effects on the mind. It was called moon-touched. We know it today as the word uh, lunatic, from the word lunar, meaning moon, or the word touched, meaning uh, uh, touched or ticked. Another dangerous reality for travelers was sunstroke. They didn't have air-conditioned automobiles. And the stifling heat as they traveled, the dusty roads, either walking, riding a donkey or a camel, would have been very unpleasant circumstances. You know, as we travel through life, we too walk through unpleasant circumstances. But yet the Scripture says, God is your shade at your right hand. That's like he's always standing at our right hand, right here next to us, no matter where we go, what situation we face, how weak we may feel, who may oppose us, the pain we suffer. No matter what the world throws at us, listen, God is right here with us. What a blessing and a comfort that is to know that God is right here with us, the shade upon our right hand. When the Apostle Paul 
was dealing with a thorn in the flesh. He knocked on heaven's door three times asking God to remove it. But God said, Paul, I'm not going to remove it, but I will walk through it with you. And in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul writes these words. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. The psalmist goes on to say, The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. Listen, he shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forever. Evermore. He is our great helper in times of weakness. That phrase, thy going out and coming in, means God helps his people from beginning to the end. When we enter this world as a tiny helpless baby, listen, we don't enter it alone, but we arrive with the presence and the protection of God all around us. When we breathe our last breath and the doctor folds our arms across our chest and covers our head with a sheet, listen, the presence of God will be there as our helper. When something like the coronavirus enters our world, it reminds us just how weak we really are. This week, someone sent me an article written by Mark Oden with the Gospel Coalition, and it's entitled, Eight Things That the Coronavirus Should Teach Us. And I want to read you a portion of that article. So, quote, eight things. It's a little lengthy, but i uh, Nonetheless, I want to read it for you. You can Google uh, the Gospel Coalition, and you'll find this article. Again, it's written by Mark Oden. And um, it's entitled, Eight Things the Coronavirus Should Teach Us. Let me just read uh, some of this article. Quote, Eight things would all do well to learn or relearn from this coronavirus scare. Number one, our fragility. The global crisis is teaching us how weak we are as human beings. At the time of this writing, 98,429 cases of coronavirus have been reported worldwide, causing 3,387 deaths. We are trying our best to contain its spread, and for the most part, I guess we're confident of eventual success. Now imagine a virus even more aggressive and contagious than coronavirus. Faced with a threat, could we prevent our own extinction as a species? The answer is clearly no. It's easy to forget, but as humans, we are weak and frail. The words of the psalmist ring true. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. That's Psalm 103. How does this lesson of our fragility hit home? Perhaps by reminding us not to take our lives on this earth for granted. Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Number two, our equality. This virus doesn't respect ethnic boundaries nor national borders. It's not a Chinese virus. It's our virus. It's in Afghanistan, Belgium, Cambodia, Denmark, France, America. Seventy-seven countries and counting have been contaminated by the coronavirus. We're all members of the great human family created in the image of God. The color of our skin, the language we speak, our accents, and our cultures count for nothing in the eyes of a contagious disease. In our suffering and the pain of losing a loved one, we are completely equal, weak, and without answers. 
Number three, our loss of control. We all love to be in control. The reality is that today, more than ever before, we can control significant parts of our lives. We can control our home's heating and security uh, remotely. We can move money around the world with a click of an app. We can even control our bodies through training and medicine. But perhaps this sense of control is an illusion, a bubble that the coronavirus has popped, revealing the reality that we're really not in control. Armed with our disinfectant sprays, we try to lower the risk of being infected. There's nothing wrong with this activity, but are we in control of the situation? Hardly. Number four, the pain we share in being excluded. A few days ago, a member of our church traveled to northern Italy. On her return to Naples, she was excluded from a dinner with work colleagues. She was told it would be better for her not to come due to her recent travels up north, even though she hadn't been anywhere near the red zones and wasn't displaying corona symptoms. Obviously, this distancing hurt her. A 55-year-old restaurant owner from central Naples has recently been quarantined. Having tested positive for COVID-19, he was said to have felt relatively well physically, but was saddened by the reaction of many of his neighbors. The thing that has hurt him more than his positive diagnosis for the coronavirus is the way he and his family have been treated by the city in which he lives. Being excluded and isolated isn't an easy thing since we were created for relationship, but many people now are having to deal with isolation. It's an experience the leper community of Jesus' day knew all too well. Number five, the difference between faith and fear. What is your reaction to this crisis? It is so easy to be gripped by fear. It's easy to see the coronavirus everywhere I look, on the keyboard of my computer, in the air I breathe, in every physical contact around every corner waiting to infect me. Are we panicking? Or perhaps this crisis is challenging us to react in a different way, with faith, not fear. Faith not in the stars or in some unknown deity, Rather, faith in Jesus Christ, the good shepherd who is also the resurrection and the life. Surely, only Jesus is in control of this situation. Surely, only he can guide us through this storm. He calls us to trust and to believe and have faith and not fear. Number six, our need of God and our need to pray. In the midst of a global crisis, how can we as individuals possibly make a difference? Often we feel so small and insignificant, but there is something we can do. We can call out to our Father in heaven, pray for the authorities running our countries and cities, pray for the medical teams treating the sick, pray for men and women and children who've been infected, for the people afraid to leave their homes, for those living in red zones, for those at high risk with other illnesses, and for the elderly. Pray the Lord would protect us and keep us. Pray to him that he might show us his mercy. Pray also for the Lord Jesus to return, that he might come back to take us to that new creation that he has prepared for us, a place with no tears, no death, no mourning, no crying or pain. Number seven, the vanity of so much of our lives. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That's Ecclesiastes 1-2. It's so easy to lose perspective in the midst of the madness of our lives. Our days are so filled with people and projects and work and wish lists, homes and holidays that we struggle to distinguish the important from the urgent. We lose ourselves 
in the midst of our lives. Perhaps this crisis is reminding us that we should concern our life, what we should concern our lives with. Perhaps it's helping us to distinguish between what is meaningful and meaningless. Perhaps the coronavirus is teaching us what really matters. And then finally, number eight, our hope. In a sense, the most important question is not, what hope do you have in the face of the coronavirus? Because Jesus came to warn us of the presence of a far more lethal and widespread virus, one that has struck every man, woman, and child, a virus that ends in not only certain death, but eternal death. Our species, according to Jesus, lives in the grip of a pandemic outbreak called sin. What is your hope in the face of that virus? The story of the Bible is the story of a God who entered a world infected with this virus. He lived among sick people, not wearing a chemical protective suit, but breathing the same air as we do, eating the same food as we do. He died in isolation, excluded from his people, seemingly far from his father on a cross. All that he might provide the sick world with an antidote to the virus, that he might heal us and give us eternal life. Hear his words. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one that believes in me will live even though they die. And whosoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's John eleven twenty five. That's the end of the quote of, um, of the article from the Gospel Coalition that I would encourage you to reread when you have an opportunity. My point is, listen, the Bible is clear that we're to live our lives moving forward, not backward. The Apostle Paul told the church at Philippi, forget those things that are behind and reach forth to the things that are ahead. The author of Hebrews said, lay aside every weight and sin that does easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We don't live life stuck in the past. But the Bible is clear that there are times we should take a look behind us and find the encouragement we need to move ahead. For example, when we take communion, Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. In other words, we take a look behind us, we remember the work of the cross, and it strengthens us to move forward. I want to close by asking you to take a look behind you for just a moment. Take a look behind you, and I want to point out two companions that God has for your life. Two companions that are practical helpers from God during times of trouble when He should be our helper, during times of uncertainty when He is our helper, during times of weakness when He is our helper. David writes about them in Psalm 23. Psalm 23 has been described as opening a jewelry box of precious gems, each word sparkling with beauty. It is a psalm that our world desperately needs to hear and sing today. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and He leads me beside the still waters. Listen, our Lord is a gracious, loving shepherd who protects, who provides, who restores, who comforts, who guides, and guards. Everything that Psalm 23 says in the opening verses is summed up in one beautiful phrase at the end of the passage. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now listen, 
there may be some difficult valleys we have to cross. There may be some rugged mountains we may have to climb and obstacles that we may face. But come what may, there are two constant companions forever walking with the believer, and that is the goodness and the mercy of God. One translation says, Goodness and love unfailing follow me all the days of my life. Another says, Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. It is God's goodness that supplies all of our need, and it's His mercy that forgives our sin. Goodness is the bounty of God, and mercy is the love of God. Listen, it is the goodness of the Father that calls the prodigal son to come back home. And it was the mercy of the Father who ran to meet his wayward son. It was the goodness of God that aided Noah to build the ark, and it's the mercy of God that let Noah and his family come inside. It is the goodness of the shepherd to supply the needs of the sheep, and it's his mercy that compels him to leave the ninety and nine and go search for the one that is lost. It has been said that goodness is God's hand and mercy is God's heart. Are you feeling weak today? Are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling troubled? Look around. Listen, the goodness and the mercy of God are following you all the days of your life and mine. And whenever our time comes to leave this world, listen, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what are we to do today? We're to lift up our eyes to the hills and see where our help comes from. Our help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He does not sleep. He does not slumber. He is our keeper. He is the shade up on our right hand and preserves us going in and coming out even forevermore. God is good. He is our helper. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you know every individual that will be listening to these words. You know their situation. Uh, Lord, you know their fear, their anxieties, their weakness, their trouble, their uncertainties. And Lord, you can speak words of peace and grace to them. And I pray right now, Lord, that you would surround them with your presence and that peace that passes all understanding. Help us to view crisis not as the world views them, not with panic, not with fear, but God, you've given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Help us to face the troubles of life knowing, God, you are on the throne. You are in control. And that, that the hope of life is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Thank you that you'll never leave us. Thank you that you are a helper. So God, we do pray for our families, our families that are hurting through this sickness today here in our community and in our church and around the world. We pray for the elderly, God, that you would keep them healthy. We pray, Lord, for those experiencing financial hardships as a result of this. God, that you would supply their need. We pray for those, Lord, who may be losing sleep. God, that you would give them grace and that you would surround them. And God, through all of this, may you point our world close to you that we would look to see where our help really comes from. Our help comes from you. So God, we love you today and we praise you. 
And we ask, Lord, that again you would draw us closer to you through this situation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.